This is a Maybe You Like It production. To find more productions, including podcasts, radio plays, and stage plays, visit www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. This is a Maybe You Like It production. To find more productions, including podcasts, radio plays, and stage plays, visit www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. Oh, this is just something I worked up. Uh, I'll do it for you. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. Hello, I'm Jake and this is the Maybe You Like It podcast, the podcast where we take plays, films and more that have never been staged before or are never likely to be staged again and we talk about how we'd stage them. As always, I'm joined by Caleb. Hello, I'm, I'm here again for another week of podcasting. Woo, hello. <laughs> and this week we are joined by director and student on the MA Text and Performance program at RADA and uh, Burke Beck, uh, Cheska Eklund. Hi. Hello, how are you? Good, thanks. Good. Jessica, um, you've you brought us something a little bit different this week. You've it's it's a train. I'm not sure I'm on yet, but hopefully <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll get aboard when we get into it. You've decided that you'd like to, to to have a go at staging Dominic Cummings' Rose Garden press conference. <laughs> yep, it's it is a film. To be fair, a form of film. It is yeah. indeed. <laughs> it was YouTube. great TV when it was on. I yeah, gotta say. absolutely. <laughs> it's been a weird rewatch for me. I, it's not something yeah. I ever thought I'd go back and see again. <laughs> to be yeah, honest. yeah, no, me too for sure. Like, and and the first time I watched it, I only watched about fifteen minutes of it, and then I switched it off because I was so angry. So watching the whole hour was a really interesting experience. You know, this many months on as well, um, and sort of seeing the impact that uh, Cummings has had on. Um, on I think people's attitude to the whole situation as well. It's been really interesting to go back to it. Um, so before we dive into how we're going to stage this, um, Jessica, could you give us a, a bit of info about this, um, about the topic, and then maybe a bit about sort of why specifically you want to look at uh, staging this press conference? Um, well, uh, why this press conference? Well, um, let me go back. Uh, basically what happened was, um, during lockdown, I mean, lockdown started, well, March, I think. Yeah. Was it March? Yeah, and, March. um, yeah, so all of Britain was confined to their homes. One walk a day for a period, um, can't, couldn't see anyone. Um, and it was a completely new thing and everyone was suffering. A lot of people were suffering. And then we find out in May that Dominic Cummings drove all the way to Durham to um, apparently to look after his child for some reason. Um, but he drove all the way to Durham and back and even took a little day trip one day to uh, the lovely Barnard Castle. I hear it's nice. Um, but yeah, so basically, um, I think it was the Mirror and the Guardian that broke this story Yeah. Um, on the 22nd of May. Um, but... I think it was a, a weekend, Saturday morning or a Friday, maybe Saturday, maybe mm, Friday. And um, so the news broke and there was a weekend of just kind of anger. And we wondered if anything was going to come of it. We probably expected a resignation, but instead we got to this lovely press conference, <laughs> um, which I think was kind of fascinating. Um, I'm a massive fan of the thick of it. I discovered yeah. it probably quite late when I was, 
maybe in 2018 or so and just watched all of it. And I've never watched a TV show and laughed so much out loud in my life. I mean, you can find things funny and, you know, you kind of internally laugh, but I was laughing out loud every single episode. And I just thought, you know, this is it. Especially when he was, you know, like an hour late or however long, an hour and a half late. And we were all just sitting there watching the TV. I was watching at a friend's house in Belsize Park in London. And it was a hot day and we were just glued to the TV and it was just such good entertainment. Um, And yeah, that's, we were all angry, but I mean, I thought it just, there's such high drama about it. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, as you, as you mentioned, like highlights include being however late he was, the setting of the Rose Garden, the screaming noise in the background. I don't know if anyone remembers that for the first. Yeah, that, that, um, it sounds like a trumpet. I don't know what it is. I, I, <laughs> think, I think what it is, is I think it's building work. I think it sounds like an angle grinder on metal. But the, <laughs> I, the thing I, heard, is- I, I heard it was a guy on Downing Street, just like, or next to Downing Street, and he was just trying to play like this really loud. Really? Yeah, he was just, he was it, like sound pollution kind of thing. Yeah, because it, it sounded to me as well, like, and this is kind of something I wanted to maybe incorporate in the production. It sounds to me like, you know, when um, you watch like a, a thriller or like a horror film, um, or the, the thing I thought of is like, I recently watched Knives Out, and they have like, like a really like forceful like strings used. Um, to like build tension that's what it sounded like to me it sounded like someone like really like going at it on like a cello and I was like there's there's definitely like something we can use in terms of bringing that into the production but anyway we'll get into that I don't think going at it on a cello is what you meant You know what exactly. You know what I, know, I meant. I know what and you mean. Like an eight, an eight-year-old trying to play the cello. Yeah, like, yeah. They've only played right. like a year. They're shit. That's yeah. exactly like they're yeah, savaging yeah. the instrument. I kind of get that. Yeah, yeah. No, fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. <laughs> um, no, but my favorite part of it is just I love when I was watching rewatching it. The stroll of him just slowly strolling out, just absolutely no shits given. Like so late, and I just love the stroll. That's my favorite part of the whole thing. Just yeah. him coming out at the start it's so it's just so and i love what he's wearing as well i love the kind of um open neck white shirt no tie of course because yeah you know, fucked with ties you know this guy's so cutting edge he's an outsider <laughs> That's him. Um, um, but yeah yeah excellent so i guess there's two options for starting here the yeah. thing I'm most interested in, because as I said, I'm, I'm not quite on the train because my, my main thought is, who, you know, who wants to watch a staged version of recent events, I guess. Mm. Um, and so I guess, I guess my first question would be framing, you know, where do you want to start? Where do you want to end? Does, is the press conference the whole thing? Is it, is it, is it just a small part of it? Is it the build up? Is it the aftermath? How, how do you see either of you? this as a play yeah i think what interests me about this is um definitely the build-up like if i was to stage it the press conference itself would probably come towards the end i'm really interested in like the cult of personality so i'm really interested in even using like quite meta theatrical um motifs to kind of consider what builds this man is he a product of the media as he always says throughout Mm. the whole press conference and who is he? Is he really like that? Does he play up to an image of himself? I'm quite interested in the construction of him. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that would be what I would want to focus on. But I'm also really interested in looking at how, all, like maybe different households watching it, kind of. Yeah. And, and how it affects the country 
at all different levels, but also in truth, the thick of it style in, you know, there's kind of anonymous civil servants and people yeah. that work in number 10, not like the big people, not the ministers, nothing like that, mm. but people much more low level. I'm quite interested in that. And those kind of wheels and how they work behind, yeah. behind the big men like him. Yeah. Cause the way I've kind of been conceptualizing it is, is basically like a first act of build up and then an interval. And then the second act would be like a verbatim performance of the press conference, either the full hour or maybe like, you know, we cut down some of the questions to just like make it sort of 35 minutes long. I, I think it's fascinating though. Including, and, but, 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 including the bit where the, you can't actually hear the questions because they've stopped. Well, yeah, no, I saw Yeah. I would, I would probably cut it bef- like just before that section or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just think it, it like genuinely like glued to my screen watching it because the way mm. that he, presents the story and then the way that he sort of like pushes back against the questioning and what he offers in terms of answers I think is fascinating and Mm. would be engaging to watch on screen Mm. um but my worry about all of that of doing a first act of build up with Dominic Cummings and then a second act of just a verbatim performance of the press conference is that I don't want Dominic Cummings to be a protagonist because he's a terrible man and I don't want, I don't yeah, want us I, to, I, to root I str- for him. I struggled with this as well because I was thinking, you know, what's behind the man, you know, what does he, obviously he's got, you know, this kid and this wife, like there must be something behind him, but I don't also want to kind of indulge that as well. Yeah. I don't, I don't want out? it to be a personal melodrama for Dominic no. Cummings because that's what he wanted it to be in the press conference. That's the way he frames it. So what would be amazing is if all the build up could be pushing against that idea so that when we see him come out and frame the whole thing as this personal domestic melodrama, we reject that narrative that he's offering us. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I, the, the, the play, I think there are two plays that I know of that come to mind in, in kind of comparison. One is Frost yeah. Nixon, yeah. Uh, which is about the kind of interview of, of, of Nixon uh, and, the, and the Watergate scandal. And the other one is a play called Great Britain by Richard Bean, which is basically Billy Piper plays Piers Morgan, but they never admit it. Right. Um, and uh, the, the really interesting thing about this play is <laughs> it, was, it was considered such scathing satire. It was announced five days before the opening. I remember night. the news around that. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, wasn't they hadn't had to announce it so close to it because they worried about legal challenges. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They worried about legal challenges. And it, it was an interesting one because I, I, I don't, I only vaguely remember it, but I felt as if it was this interesting thing where Billy Piper was presented as certainly the main character, mm. but more of a, I guess, an antagonist. That's that's what I think. I don't. Yeah. Think, I think you can still build this cult of personality without indulging in the oh, I feel really bad for them. You know, they just want to look yeah. after their child, or they're you know they come from you know humble beginnings. They're actually really insecure. That kind of thing. I'm not that interested in that with Dominic Cummings because yeah, like everyone, I think he's a wanker. But um, <laughs> I'm interested in how the media kind of builds him up and we kind of are complicit in his kind of yeah. construction of the self. That's what I find interesting. I'm more about how we all react to him and why we're all obsessed with him, more of a kind of reflection on society as a whole 
so uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. So maybe is there a way that we could write a first act that um, that is not dissimilar to to in uh, to um, the thick of it in style, but is actually following the journalists who are breaking this story and then following it up. Um, that's exactly what I. That's exactly what I would also thought about it. That, yeah, I love that as an idea, and that would be really interesting as well because um, you. The, the journalists who actually get to interview him in the in the Rose Garden are people like Laura Koonsberg and Robert Peston, people yeah. who wouldn't have been the people breaking this story. So to follow a completely separate group of people for that first act and mm-hmm. then have different journalists questioning him in the second act could be really interesting because we could get to know these characters and be rooting for them in breaking the story and then following up over that weekend and making sure the pressure stays on Dominic Cummings and the government. And then we see how it all falls apart once... Um, that's taken out of the hands of those journalists and Dominic Cummings is allowed to present the story how he wants to present it. Yeah, but you could also even like snap back to that original um, journalist team, you know, throughout the press conference. You can kind of use it as a way of distancing yourself from the action, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that does. We're we're now looking at quite a large cast, but that's okay because <laughs> <laughs> um, we, you know, we're this is all taking place in a hypothetical theatre, so we have as much money as we like. But I, I'm just kind of conscious about because you're if you t- think about a team of journalists who, let's say, there's six of them, and then you've got Dominic Cummings, and then you have the people interviewing, which adds up to like eight or ten people. <laughs> it's just like, but, but hang on, you can use a bit of license there. You know, yes, you yeah, you can easily imagine that there's two journalists working on this thing. Yeah, and yeah maybe and then the other journalists that appear at the end they can be an ensemble in in other ways and they can play lots of other characters as we go through in a kind of 39 step style you know yeah i i did just have a thought about because jessica you were talking about incorporating like the british um like national response to this story breaking which Mm. was one of anger right and that's what the journalists um who are uh, like you know the ones questioning him in the rose garden are reflecting or at least trying to reflect is there something in maybe inviting audience members up as those characters to read out the questions to dominic cummings yeah Um, that could work well yeah yeah I, i worry it's too it would be too gimmicky but i think it'd be really interesting to maybe say look you know someone is going to be Laura Koonsberg and and so an audience member comes up and they have a card with the questions that Laura Koonsberg asked and they can ask them to Dominic Cummings Mm. um and it I guess yeah it's kind of breaking down that barrier of like the audience actually interacting with this story of Dominic Cummings in the way that like the the nation had to wrestle with his story and and what he did you know in that moment in in the press conference and the impact that that's had since um so that could be an interesting way of cutting down the cast size there. Um, I mean, when you think about cast size, I mean, I'm not even sure that you need someone to play him. And I don't even know if you need someone to play Laura Kinsberg or Peston or any of these people. You could yeah. do, no you cast, could do empty something, stage. You could do something with voices or you could do something with the recordings. And I'm quite interested yeah. in kind of not even indulging them. Like this whole, I'm more interested in the, like the hubbub around them. Does that make right. sense? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, how, yeah. We, and yeah. how we can build that kind of pageantry around it almost. So so could almost the second act, if, we, if we've been following these journalists who've been breaking and following the story, could the second act even be, the whole of the second act is one long scene where they have the press conference playing in their office, mm. um, but they're, yeah, immediately responding with how are we going to, you know, what are we going to do with this story out out the back of this press conference what are we going to do with everything that's being presented to us right now 
I'm also interested in cutting to families watching it as well. Yeah. Like, I, I can envision like, uh, like a really left wing, maybe a neighbor of Cummings and Islington being like, oh, you know, completely detesting him. And then maybe mm. more of a kind of Tory leaning, oh, maybe he does have a point. Maybe he was just looking after his child kind of thing. I, I like, I'm interested in looking at all those different kind of reactions and you could probably cut in between to those quite briefly. I think that could work quite well. Yeah, well, I, at this point, can I maybe just bring in... So a week after this happened, the... the um, the It was actually... Was it The Observer or was it The Guardian? One of them... Um, they're all on the same website now, so it's hard to tell. But one of them wrote up a, a story basically about the disastrous week that they had following the, the Dominic Cummings story coming out. And it opens with talking about a neighbour of... Um, Dominic Cummings' parents in Durham and her response to this news. Um, and sh- this is quoting her. She's she's anonymous in the article, but this is quoting her. I've isolated for 10 weeks. I've not seen my children since before Christmas. If there were stocks in the village, Dominic Cummings would be in them. There's not one single person around here who's not disgusted. Everyone is furious because we've all played fair. People haven't been able to go to funerals. They haven't been able to go to weddings. They haven't been able to look after people who are dying. I can't go to see my friend in Barnard Castle who was dying, and yet that four-letter word goes out for a trip. I was born in this country. I've never come across ill-feeling like this about anything. Everyone feels it is one law for us and one law for them. It's so unfair. So I think maybe even there's a way that if if we're playing on the idea of like using the sort of verbatim language of the press conference, maybe there's even a way we can use the verbatim language of people's response to this. And I think there's yeah. enough there's enough out there of similar stories to this of actual verbatim responses of real people. And maybe we can build those into a second act that cuts between the press conference, the journalistic reaction, and then personal reactions of members of the British public um, and, and sort of their immediate impression when they heard the news about Dominic Cummings and then when they saw his press conference. Yeah. I think it's about also, I'm also interested in how we're all kind of complicit in a way. because I mean, I don't know about you, but something about Dominic Cummings, I like, I, I'm so obsessed with him. <laughs> he has so much airtime in my mind. Yeah. And I kind of, I'm interested to think like, why, why do we buy into it on a, in a, on a level? The fact that we get so angry with him, we're so annoyed that he's able to do this. We still kind of buy into his power, if that makes yes. any sense. He's I, like, I, his yeah. vision of himself as this kind of like Nietzschean ubermensch. I yeah. think it's still kind of blown up, even if we're angry with him. Yeah, I thought about this a lot since his uh, he had to leave Downing Street very recently as well, because it was happening at a similar time to the announcement that Biden had won the presidential election. And there was a real like, oh, 2020 is finally giving us good news. Biden's got the election. Dominic Cummings is out of 10 Downing Street. And I just kind of think, yeah, like good that he, you know, isn't this guy pulling the strings behind the scenes, but we still have... Boris Johnson's government in power and uh, they're still handling the coronavirus quite poorly. Um, mm-hmm. And you kind of go, oh, that all, why has all of this emphasis on bad stuff happening in our country been placed on this one guy who built power and built, you know, interest around him, built media interest around him over the last few years um, and and he, beca- he, he draws all of our focus in the media and in you know, yeah, like you say, airtime in our own minds. 
And I'm so interested in why has that, yeah, why has that focus been drawn to him? And why is it still drawn to him now? Even though, you know, he's just a guy, like he's just like one bloke, like um, James Graham's Brexit and Uncivil War follows how Dominic Cummings made Brexit happen, essentially. And I think this is all part of it is this obsession with this guy who could make the unthinkable happen, who could make Brexit happen. And you just go, why do we... Why, why do we give all of this time and interest to this man who, I mean, you know, you can fall either side on a, a number of these debates, but who, at, at the very least on this count, you know, this issue has, has caused a lot of upset for our country. Um, that's, that's kind yeah. of why I don't want to make him a character because yeah. I think that he views himself as this kind of prophet. I mean, I, I've been tr- reading all of the... Dominic Cummings blog last night, mm. which was um horrific experience. <laughs> but also fascinating. Yeah. Um, Wasn't there something where he he like edited it or someone edited it so that it yeah. looked like he predicted coronavirus? So, oh my god, yeah. that's my favorite my favorite part of um, <laughs> uh, the entire conference, other than him strolling out, is yeah. um he says, I've got it here in quotes. For years, I have warned of the dangers of pandemic. <laughs> Last year, I wrote about the possible threat of coronaviruses and the urgent need for planning. Yeah. And I wrote next to it, oh, he's the Messiah now, is he? Because he really <laughs> believes that he is. Yeah. He, what I find fascinating, this is what I mean, I, I really find it fascinating because if you go to his Wikipedia, you look at his you know, interests, the way people write about him is so, like he's kind of this kind of ubermensch Messiah Wonder, Wunderkind kind yeah. of thing. They say, oh, you know, he's obsessed with Russian literature. He's obsessed with um, like Bismarck and um, with maths and Brothers Karamazov. And it's like, I don't know, they kind of depict him as, I don't know, the voice of a generation or yeah. whilst also being kind of a contrarian. Um, yeah, it's almost, it's almost as if his divisiveness is part of what makes him so appealing to our mm-hmm our own like sort of it, it, want for drama and for someone who like has that uh, this superiority complex. I think that's something that people are so excited by in a, it, not in a good way, but, and I just, yeah, I find it fascinating how people think, perceive him. Yeah. And I think and to an extent that, that he is excited by that too. Is the whole thing where the oh, other yeah. week he left the front of number 10 when there's like 10 different back entrances he could have used yeah. when he comes out the front of his house and he kind of seems to like, I don't care. With his box. My kids alone, you know, it's yeah, all part of it. It's all part yeah. of it. It's, yeah, it's, no one has yeah. boxes like that. Like all that. Yeah, yeah all that kind of stuff. exactly. Yeah. And there's been so many jokes in, in the weeks since then. What is it? Two weeks since then or something uh, about I mean, like what knows what time? It yeah, is yeah, I know. Yeah, about like what? What did he have in his box? Did he have all the secrets to Brexit and all this stuff? And I've seen like lots of satir- <laughs> satirists saying like, you know, oh, you know, it's funny how Boris isn't going to be able to get anything done now that Dominic Cummings took all of the ideas away in his box or whatever. And I'm like, <laughs> who? Who do we actually think this guy is? And I, that's why I think to bring it back to our st- staging it, uh, I think it's so important like you say, Cheska, to like not have him be a character because to have to, to purposefully place him as an absence within a play about a thing that he did, uh, I think is such an important statement to say, we're exploring his cult of personality, but we are not indulging it. We're not engaging with it. We're choosing to subvert it and to push around it rather than to like look at it head on. I think that it's also about 
thinking, what do we, is this in us? Is this kind of person in us? I think it's quite interesting. What, to what extent are we kind of subconsciously like this? How are we as a society kind of complicit and we just put it all into him, as you say, he's the one, you know, he caused Brexit. He's, you know, the macho man, you know, in number 10. Yeah. Um, I think he represents something that is more sinister in all of us, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Okay. So uh, these are all really exciting ideas that I think are really useful, but I'm conscious that it would be cool to nail these down into some kind of like, what is this that we're staging? Um, and I think about how can we explore these ideas on stage? And I think the easiest way to show that drama is to have a, this group of journalists who are breaking the story be coming at it from different angles. So one of them can be completely obsessed with Dominic Cummings and who he is. And one of them can be uh, advocating apathy towards him and saying like, oh, should we really be pushing this story? Uh, you know, is this even a story we should be publishing because I worry about the potential impact of making a big media storm around this? And if you yeah. can put these two polarized opposing views on stage then basically what we can find in them is some kind of middle ground that says, okay, we create this obsession with Dominic Cummings ourselves. Um, but also like, uh, you know, also we can't just not report him breaking the rules because it it shows the disparity, uh, in our country that's being created by this current administration. Yeah. I also am interested in terms of approach, looking at kind of the gender approach, maybe if you you have a group of, if you'd have a group of, I think it was a female journalist that headed the story. Yeah, I'm quite but, sure I mean, it was. Yeah, I, th- I think it's about looking at how men maybe buy into it maybe more. And it. I don't know, maybe there's a, like, there is definitely a gendered sense to him that he views himself, you know, as this kind of saviour. Do you know what I mean? And quite, he's very narcissistic, obviously. Yes, yeah. But I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how men respond to him versus how women respond to him. And I think you, as you say, you could kind of, get a sense of that if through these different journalists with their kind of differing views you could even have yeah. a journalist that who had been at university with him or something like that yeah yeah absolutely or even and, like playing with a gender dynamic even like a female journalist who is obsessed with him but is wrestling with the fact that she's decided to be obsessed with this guy you know what i mean and then kind of like why you know why am i bothering with this like this is not a good person to be obsessed about kind of thing um and that yeah i think these are yeah sorry these are these are all yeah building some characters who who show a broad spectrum of feeling about dominic cummings and conflict amongst them i think yes i think that's absolutely true and then building into that gender dynamics um as part of just building a whole group dynamic and i definitely the idea of having yeah someone who knew him at university uh has crossed paths with him quite uh personally would be really interesting um yeah. And and are these journalists are they telling the audience a story as a group to, about what they did and how they went about investigating things or is it is it kind of a, a solid fourth wall where we just watch them go about like how's how what kind of thing are we thinking there? Mm. I, I feel like it would switch back and forth between, you know, fourth wall and a little bit of broken fourth wall mm. um between telling the story and, you know, literally telling the story and the action. Maybe um, and maybe their moments where they break the fourth wall exactly, can be yeah. de- delivered like a like a news report, even if it's not like actual news, but delivered like a you know it was on this day at this time that we 
as a you know as a group investigating this did this it was a, you know and, and delivering that like it like almost like it's being reported to the audience mm. and then it breaks into actual scenes and actual discussion with a solid fourth wall for you know yeah however many minutes a scene runs for in this Stru- structurally it does remind me of this play i saw at edinburgh a couple of years ago about the yorkshire ripper um, okay and it was about the police department that were investigating him yeah. and about how they went about it. And this one woman, because I don't know if you knew, I mean, the Yorkshire Ripper died recently, didn't he? Um, mm. There was a lot of sexism in the um, police department and it was looking at a woman that was like the main character and how she found it really difficult, um, the way that the victims were being treated. Yeah. And, it, and it brought those kind of political conflicts to the room, if that makes sense. And that's why focusing, as you say, on one room, um, kind of a step away from the action in that way, yeah. can allow us to kind of really zoom in and kind of have a microcosm for the country and the political response. Yeah, and how I like we're that. Complicit in building the drama. Of yeah, makes sense. I I think would what would also maybe really be really good is that if if the show started from a place where the journalists already have the story, if that makes sense. So I, th- I think what's well-trodden is journalists seeking out a story and like following an investigation of journalists. Yeah. What would be really cool is if it starts with, we have the story, um, and the whole of the first act is building up to how do we announce this? How do we release this and then follow up? You know, what is our angle here? And then the second act is the response, the aftermath, the Rose Garden press conference um, but from the perspective of these journalists and it's like okay how do we now that we've released this information and this story into the world how do we respond and how do we follow through with all of it afterwards and I think it would be really interesting that way because rather than uh, obsessing over investigation and how to find these stories I think what we're what we're really digging into then is how do we use these stories um, how do we as a nation respond to these stories and what like what did, what does it mean when something like this happens in our country um and how to you know and then showing that as a microcosm of how do we then wrestle with it as a nation because i think i think people have even maybe not consciously but i think people have wrestled with this idea of like well what's the point in these rules because there are people out there not following them and yeah. dominic cummings is like demonstrative of that at a national scale <laughs> um mm. which is yeah kind of crazy um yeah, so I think it would be useful to start at that point. So maybe the first act goes over that weekend and then the second act starts at the Rose Garden press conference, but maybe it can go into a, a, a broader aftermath than that, um, if yeah. that makes sense. Um, cool. Okay, I feel like this is kind of built the story, which I think is really good. I, I would kind of be interested in maybe talking about what sort of... Um, aesthetic choices we could make in staging this uh, to kind of get the most out of this sort of broad narrative we've put together. I'm a bit of a bare set girl uh, myself. Yeah. Um, I, li- I like set that's functional and um, quite movable. Um, I think I, cause I would envision it that, I mean, you could even have like desks and some chairs, but I, I, yeah. wouldn't, I wouldn't aesthetically have a newsroom and yeah. rotating stage to like, you know, a rose garden with like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, because I think that you can be much more dynamic uh, with kind of a more sparse set, but I think that's just my 
Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, what what kind of space would you put this in? Would you aim for like a, you know, I mean, we've kind of got it now where we could probably have a cast of about four or six. Would you aim for like a a fringe venue or would you want to put it in a proscenium venue or would you want to put it in like a in the round or, you know, where where would you want to put this, I I guess? Never proscenium for me. Never. <laughs> um, never ever. Um, quite interested in Traverse, I mean, for this. I mean, it's quite a confrontational. Um, yeah. And I love the Traverse. I think it's so, you can create so much movement and so much urgency with the Traverse yeah. stage. Um, yeah, either Traverse or very deep thrust. Um, yeah, that's yeah. what I would do. And you could have, you know, the characters coming on and, you know, saying, oh, look at this letter we've just received. Uh, I can't believe this or look at this tweet um, coming in yeah. through the and creating that sense of um, urgency, which I think is really interesting. I'm really interested in also the kind of that, that urgency and that fast pace and like high volume, but then also those like silent moments where everything just stands still. Yeah. Um, and I think that creating that on stage is really um, yeah. important. I think you're right. Like I this. think, I think Traverse really gives an opportunity to create a sense of ebb and flow. Like you say, there can be these really energetic moments of people entering, we're bringing news, like lots of like information being flown, like thrown back and forth between characters. And then moments where there can be big revelations or big changes in, in what's happening. And that's a moment where it can all stand still. And yeah, maybe having a relatively sparse set would, would further that as well, because um, set and can just be adapted to whatever it needs to be and you kind of get the sense with yeah in, in a in like a busy newsroom and stuff with hot desks and things like that like spaces become whatever the journalists need them to be yeah. in that moment and so to kind of build that into the way we use the set would be really interesting i think yeah and i think also this is in a way it's a story of desks and doors you know you've got the closed door of number 10 what's going on behind yeah you've got the new the, the journalist trying to not let something out before they decide how they want to frame it you've got you know as you say new de- news desk then you've got the little desk for some reason that's put in a garden for him to do the press conference behind <laughs> I um I, I so i think yeah and that idea of like corridors of power i do really like a traverse i think the one thing i yeah. would worry about there would be the conference itself one if we're not having comings as a natural character what is the audience looking at at that point well um, yeah i think what yeah. we were saying is that we, we have the conference playing. Everyone, like, maybe someone's got a laptop and we've literally got the video of the conference playing. Yeah. Or, or we can have the audio of it playing in the background, but it's them discussing how they're responding to the conference. And we're seeing a direct response. Mm. Almost as if, like, you know, I think most, most people who watch the news of any kind will have seen that conference. And then lots of others will have seen a highlight of it or, or something. Mm. So I think there would be a good enough understanding of what that conference is to just put it either on a small screen where the audience doesn't need to watch it necessarily or just have the audio of it playing very very low in the background and then having them respond to it Mm. um and i think that way we don't need to stage first of all we don't need to build a rose garden on stage which is ideal um but then we don't need to stage it at all and we can just play with this sort of newsroom feel but yeah not building a newsroom but yeah i think that I, i agree it's all about this sense of temporariness and um you know that's what's hilarious about politics and journalism you know as interwoven worlds is that you know you don't know who's going to be in the door one minute and you don't know who's going to be out the next like yeah. you don't know what story is going to come onto your table like everything moves so fast paced that you can't like sit with something yeah um, and you can't really and that's what's going to be amazing i think about when the 
when you have sections of that the conference played is yeah. everyone is kind of still and I, yeah. i'm interested in that um that those kind of moments yeah but yeah i agree it's um it is uh difficult i mean to show like put, you're not gonna have a massive projector and have the, the audience kind of t- craning their heads to the side to watch him i think that the idea of maybe having on met numerous laptops so you could have yeah the journalists kind of around a, a desk you know numerous laptops showing and you, you could kind of yeah. have the the voice played on the speakers um yeah, or yeah even or someone's got it like on their phone the- in headphones yeah, yeah, or even if like above the auditorium where everyone's sitting, like we imagine like we're in this kind of like journalist office. I imagine there's like TVs on the wall, so they could just mm. be like hanging above random places. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I also, I, I think just to say, I, I think this is much more marketable as a story as saying, look, here's a, ju- here's a story, here's a play about journalism and about, and about the cult of personality around Cummings that, yeah. that is like something you don't know about. Whereas, because mm. my main worry going into this was like, no one wants to watch a play about something they just did. Like, no one wants to watch like, hey, remember and, that and thing also, made no you really one, mad? No one wants watch it to again? watch. <laughs> no one wants to watch impressions as well. Like, I Absolutely. hate yeah. that. Like, yeah. I I cannot watch like a Donald Trump like play. Or Boris Johnson play like nothing would make me feel worse. I, yeah. I agree. It's about the kind of ripple effects of it, mm. and mm. how and what's interesting about the thick of it is it's kind of those everyday people who are not that dissimilar from us, mm. but are are, are be- behind these kind of personalities and behind these big decisions, yeah. and how really it's just people, you know, you know, having a go and winging it it's there's no Mm. there's no structure to any of it really yeah and i think what's great about building this set as well where we have the screens in is maybe even what we can do is we can build towards a kind of visual epilogue where we have these uh real stories of real people shown on the screens maybe even like vox pops or whatever of people telling us about their response to that situation or whatever. I'm sure there's either someone's already made something like that that we could show, or you could make it quite easily if you were making this show right now. Um, and I think <laughs> like that, that could be interesting. Not another one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that kind of thing, though. And I think it'd be quite yeah. fun to have this sort of almost like an epilogue of real people responding to the, uh, you know, the events that we've just seen on stage. There's so many great tweets as well about um dominic cummings i mean i can read some from this thread if you want to hear some oh, please, do. please do um, it, the thread starts with um dominic cummings eating a whole raw onion without breaking eye contact with you <laughs> <laughs> there's another one that says this is my this might be my favorite dominic cummings doesn't sleep but has eight 20 minute power naps a day the snooze yeah. octagon and every three years hibernates <laughs> for five months the long- <laughs> And that's called the long night. <laughs> uh, I just find him. I just find the whole. Oh, this is quite good. Dominic Cummings's emergency grab bag is empty, save for a piece of paper with the words "You are Dominic Cummings." <laughs> <laughs> I think oh, what's gosh. great about this as well is 
I mean, what you're doing right now, this could just be a scene where, where the journalists are just reading a thread from Twitter exactly, and responding. Yeah. I think that's brilliant. And I think that's such a... But then but then you can have this really energetic, funny, fun scene where that's happening. And then a moment of reflection where the journalists are like, oh, this is, this is indulging him because this is yeah. what he wants. What he wants is all of us to be talking about him, even if we're making fun of him. Mm. I think that's really, yeah, that's really fun. Really interesting. My worry um, now, yeah. to a point where okay we've done this we've done the press conference and then what are we closed with like i mean i have an like idea an for that monologue yeah like yeah go on i mean um i'm interested in kind of following say one central journalist maybe mm. in this and then they maybe have got into fights with all the it could be a woman in a quite a male dominated that could be quite interesting a woman in a male dominated newsroom yeah and she's maybe maybe they all went to oxford and like they were kind of part of that i don't know they're all oxbridge and they were quite like public schooly i don't know some kind of conflict where she feels out of place yeah. and then at the end she is she maybe has you know she continues to have like fights with them about it and she kind of starts to really question society and you know who's leading us and how the newspapers kind of perpetuate the poor form like that is the government um and you could kind of get a sense at the end that she maybe doesn't want to continue with it or she, I yeah don't know, well see her. that's really great because what i was going to say is when you were talking earlier about the sort of building building in this sort of uh, theme of like the comings and goings of government and of media and stuff <laughs> if this Come. is her yeah exactly if this is this character who we're following if this is her like first time in like you know working on a major story yeah um and and but her her sort of arc as a character is by the end she doesn't want to be a journalist maybe even she you know wants to go into activism or you know something that because she's like this isn't making a difference what i'm doing right now we're yeah. just perpetuating the story of this man who wants us to be talking about him and maybe yeah following that arc through could be a really interesting way of drawing that theme out and we have her arriving at the beginning and leaving at the end and so you literally bake into her arc like this idea of the comings and goings and how short-lived everything is within this world of journalism and politics but you could have a really interesting scene with the rest of the people in her newsroom or a few of them and being like how different are you to them how different are you like yeah. how different am i or like, i don't know something like that where she really has this kind of crisis yeah yeah and and yeah, as i say it feels a need to leave um i think yeah could, could work really well and she because i think a lot of people as you say push it over there and say oh you know he's such a wanker look at him he's the kind of he's the the worst of us but like we, i'm sure a lot of the people that she'd be working with especially at like at a big news desk mm. how di how different will they be you'll get a lot of narcissists in journalism as well yeah and and that sort of competitive uh ambition that macho -ness very as well. selfish yeah yeah exactly yeah because these these are the quality these masculine uh, qualities that we place upon those in power uh, and the sort of damaging effect of them and that's sort of what we're I think as a society waking up to at the moment or have been for the last you know, 20 years or whatever um, I think it'd be really interesting to, to explore that further by yeah by showing you know even if the journalists sort of agree with her about Dominic Cummings but actually they also exhibit the same behavior that he does that yeah. could be a really interesting way of exploring that yeah okay cool so yeah I think we've got a set there we built this sort of broad story um I, yeah I guess I mentioned right up top about music 
Um, is there something we can do with a live, a small live band of some kind in terms of music? I think it'd be really good to use music to build suspense in this. You could have a live drum kit. Yeah, drums. Are, yeah, I'm thinking Birdman style. Like, yeah, that's sick. <laughs> that's really cool. Um, yeah. I wouldn't have a whole band. I'd have something like a drum kit or... But yeah, definitely music, you know, especially with transitions and um, when you're trying to build up that momentum. Uh, yeah. I've been in a, a, yeah. I've been in a production of Mojo that just had live drums and no other live instruments. Um, yeah. yeah. And it, it was fantastic for just building that tension when you needed it, but not feeling like that was like the focus of the production. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I, I'm still keen on strings just because of what I heard in the in the conference. That's <laughs> I don't true. know why it sounded like it that sounded to me. More like brass to me. Really interesting. Yeah, it sounded, it sounded like. I don't know what the technique, but there's a there's a technique on strings where you like you are like forceful with the bow so that you're like almost like pushing the string to its limit. I can't remember what the technique's called. Um, I would have known that at one point you're in my doing life. Doing it wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, no, 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 no but but and it, and it's about like like building like a really like rough sound out of the string instrument and that's what it sounded like to me but i don't know man i don't know but yeah maybe a drum kit and like one other instrument like something like a cello or something i would be interested in seeing because i think that then you've got um you can have interaction between those instruments and you've got an opportunity there to to build momentum with like the percussion but also to build suspense with something like the strings would be interesting um but yeah definitely a small band i i would prefer is I mean, it called cool legno is that right oh yeah that's where you play with the wood of the bow yeah yeah that's definitely that would bring, get, get that effect yeah so you play the with the bow the wrong way around and it creates like a really cool like ah. effect um yeah um yeah something like that but yeah i definitely at the moment i'm definitely thinking of this in terms of scale as like quite small like introverse but maybe even with an audience of only sort of 200 or 300 maximum. i'm thinking about which theaters would be good um space wise um someone like the somewhere uh, i was just thinking someone like the bridge theater is really good in london it's like very you can use it for lots of different things and also the small cottesloe in national i think it's called or the dorfman they used to be called the but those are like that you can change around um the yeah. like whole set pretty easily and they're quite intimate um yeah. something like that um bridge is actually 900 seats i think oh really that's a yeah. lot um yeah um i think i wouldn't want it to be too small i think i would want it to be you can still have really intimate feeling but quite and actually quite a big audience yeah and that's the yeah. beauty of traverse as well is that traverse you can just feel so close to it yeah absolutely um, yeah quite a big um even if it's quite a big audience that's right yeah but no absolutely so those are definitely potential uh locations um but like you say somewhere that is adaptable to building a traverse set um but yeah that isn't too small like yeah definitely it goes beyond a studio space but also isn't like you know absolutely massive so you lose the intimacy of, of what you're creating as well um yeah okay Cool. Is there, what else is there that we might want to talk about? Oh, I was just going to say that it would be cool if you could tour it and not just keep it in London, because I think yeah. you'd actually yeah. get more of a, I just think you'd be kind of buying into a London-centric, this London-centric focus that maybe it doesn't want to, that yeah. it's arguing against almost. Yeah, no, I'd love to tour it. And I think something like them, the Barbershop Chronicles, they toured and in they yeah. just used whatever venue they had. So sometimes they performed it in a 
proscenium arch theater and they just use that but then sometimes they were able to put it in in the round or in thrust or in traverse mm. um so definitely making it adaptable to different locations and taking mm. it on yeah. tour i think it's something that would do well on tour as well i think what you're selling like you said jake is this untold story and this is a sort of a what we're talking about here is a cheap enough production that you could take that on tour and and make a profit which is very rare on this show to be able to say that because often <laughs> often all we can say uh. is like this would cost a hundred million pounds and we wouldn't be able to this, do it. I mean, it definitely it sounds it's definitely mountable. I would say this would this would be a subsidized project for sure. I don't think yeah. this would be a commercial project. Yeah. Um, absolutely. But yeah. That's me. Yeah. Subsidized. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm all about it. <laughs> um brilliant. Okay. I I I'm feeling like we've we've got there in terms of doing something with this. I don't know. How do you, how do you feel, Jake? Yeah, I, I, as I say, I was I, going in. I was worried, you know, or you know, sit there watching a verbatim thing of a thing that made me angry six months ago. Mm. Uh, I, I watched watched the YouTube video, and I was, it's amazing how much the world has changed in a very few <laughs> short months. Yeah, um, yeah, like it seems it seems so trivial now, just because of how attitudes have changed it to some extent and then to some other extent, it doesn't seem like it at all. And it's it was really weird to. It watch. almost I mean, doesn't seem real. Yeah, yeah, exactly. World. Exactly. Yeah, and the fact that it's summertime and like it's yeah. it's just I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, there's nothing thing, more there's nothing more jarring than a summer something from summer in the in the middle of winter. You just you, no, really, yeah. It's it's yeah. a whole different world, but that's why I kind of want to unpack it. And I just I don't think we actually processed it properly. Does that make no, sense? I think yeah, because we were so right. caught, we yeah. were so caught up in a kind of we were caught up in a kind of fake world. You know, we all had this kind of war spirit of like oh, you know, bandy together. Like, it's, it's not real life. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I feel like we've been much more struck by reality um, recently. Than yeah. Then. Yeah, I think second lockdown has done that. And I think also the attitude towards second lockdown has done that. And I think part of that attitude has come from Carmen's action in the first um lockdown i i think yeah. i think there is a genuine linear effect that this man has had and i think that's really interesting to explore and definitely as a immediately post-covid production i think this would be a really interesting thing to dig into i mean mm. we are taking massive poetic license on uh, what actually happened behind the scenes but that's fine you know but, I what, think... but you can sell it as a fictionalized behind the scenes yeah, rather than a based well, on yeah, a true story and, and you even know? and yeah and as i was saying like i'd really want to push when you're selling this like i re- like i would I'd, you'd barely even mention like I would not want to sell it as like come see a play about that press conference. Yeah, I would come and see it as like as like this is a story we're telling about journalism, personality cults, and politics. And yeah, we're telling yeah. it around something that's just happened, and it would come to that, you know. Um, and yeah, I mean, if if I mean Richard, if Richard being in Great Britain managed to do five days of marketing and get a West End transfer, then. I'm sure we can do it too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because we have the uh, context and resources to make that happen. <laughs> I, I also think, I think it's the age of um, fictionalized real stories, if that makes sense. Mm. I mean, everyone yeah. is, what is everyone watching at the moment? They're watching The Crown. I mean, we yeah. are obsessed with investigating. Yeah, and Queen's Gambit cult. as well. Yeah, exactly. We're like, we're yeah, because so many people were like, oh, I thought Queen's Gambit was based on a true story, but it's not at all. And I think that's really interesting. Yeah. yeah yeah exactly and it's ba- and well it's based on a comment that a chess player made basically which is not right but it yeah yeah it i haven't watched it but it like no, it I seems yeah. like it's based on a true story yeah yeah that's fascinating i don't um, watch the crown but <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but, but we but we all we all are obsessed with you know 
these personalities and knowing yeah. what, knowing what goes on behind closed doors. I think yeah, that's yeah. it, right? I think that's absolutely a cultural fascination. And even even personally, like everything we've made so far, Caleb, has been true story. Yeah, know? that's it's kind of our shtick right now. <laughs> we might move <laughs> away from it in you know soon, but um, yeah, like both of our our shows that have been put on uh, have been yeah based on true stories. One was you know big powerful people in Broadway and kind of like their their folly, and the the other one was about sort of more normal regular people. But I think people with both of those my interest in them has been that they're real people and real stories and the audience is interested in you know it's easier to invest because you know that these are real people and you want to know what they got up to and i think that mm. that's a really interesting like sort of fascination that we have in that's our, our base interest in storytelling is in knowing other people's business which is really interesting yeah <laughs> um Absolutely. yeah yeah cool um anything uh, else to add yeah I, I think I'm happy with this. Okay, fantastic. Uh, yeah, I think I think I'm happy too. We've got something here that could definitely like be go on to. Oh, we wouldn't talk for an hour, but you know, it could definitely go on to be something. And and that this is a commissionable idea. I think put it that way. I would um, agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cheska, have you got anything coming up you'd like to tell us about to share? Um, can people find you on the internet anywhere? Learn more about you? Yeah, um, I'm on Twitter. Um, it's at Cheska Gaff, G-A-T-H is the surname. And um, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm directing a show, currently devising a show that will be on in Hoxton, hopefully in January, uh, with probably an audience of about 10 people because it's in a small room, socially distanced. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a duologue and we're devising it. It's about all about intimacy. I mean, we haven't got a title yet, but uh, we hope maybe go to the fringe or something you know eventually so i think it'll be good it'll it'll kind of be like um a play of lots of different vignettes if that makes any sense not dissimilar from kind of love and information if you i don't know if you've ever heard, read that it's, uh i don't remember who it's oh carol churchill um so right, yeah, yeah we're just investigating you know intimacy and um connection basically in covid times and how much it's changed really Real. So yeah, sorry, just give us the, the name and venue and when it's on so people can go and find that. Uh, no name yet, but it, okay. will, be on a, it will be on at uh, the Colours um, Arts Bar uh, in Hoxton in January. It's on the 7th, 8th and 9th of uh, January. Hopefully. Awesome. So I guess people can, can keep up with that on your Twitter. and, and Yes, they can. That way. Yes, they can. Brilliant. <laughs> cool. Excellent. Uh, Jake, where can people find you online? uh they can find me on twitter and letterboxd at jake reesh that's j-a-k-e-r-e-e-s-h and where can people find you caleb they can find me on twitter uh, and instagram and letterboxd at caleb lebster that's c-a-l-e-b-l-e-b-s-t-e-r i think i spelled that right (laughs) Um, and is it time to is it time to plug our next thing Caleb well this is I was actually literally just about to ask you this um do we want to it's an exclusive it's an exclusive yeah why not an exclusive for our our podcast listeners listeners. um we're we're working towards releasing over Christmas uh, an audio a radio uh sketch show uh, that we're working on with a, a, a few very funny people um so hopefully that will be dropping uh, around the Christmas week. I'm not going to say when, just in case we have to change plans. Um, but it's going to be like a very absurd, silly, fun sketch show, but kind of like 
from the the tradition of like gathering around the radio set to listen to a, a kind of Christmas comedy show, have I said I've not pitched this well, Jake? What do you want to? You've not, you've say not pitched that well at all. I, I'm a <laughs> mess. I mean, in case you decide that that was that was too slow, <laughs> um, I will just say around Christmas, just after Christmas, we will be releasing a new sketch show, and it's going to be great. And look out for it on our. Uh, maybe like it presents dot 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 stream or you can keep up with it on our social channels and those are at maybe you like it with the letter u on twitter and instagram or on facebook at maybe you like it productions that's with the word you or you can visit our website at www.maybe you like it.co.uk or drop us an email at info at maybe you like it.co.uk tell us you know do you think that dominic cummings is a saint and this play would <laughs> not not give us any information at all interesting <laughs> Do you think it would be fantastic? Do you think it wouldn't be hard-hitting enough? Tell us. You can send us an email or indeed rate us or leave a comment or whatever you would like to do. Tell your friends. We'd love to hear from you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and as forced as that was, maybe you liked it. Maybe you didn't. Well, <laughs> <laughs> anything else to say? Did I, did I miss anything? That was a Maybe You Like It production. Maybe you liked it. Maybe you didn't. That was a Maybe You Like It production. Maybe you liked it. Maybe you didn't.